Thank you, Travis. I have always loved and appreciated that song. What a great song it is. And I still recall the first time I heard that song. Go ahead, Brother David. Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord, David. You've been a blessing to us. Amen. And we ought to praise Him for all of His goodness in our life. Amen. That's what the Bible means when it said, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Look in James chapter 5. Good testimony. James chapter 5. I'm going to look at one verse of Scripture tonight. And uh, we're going to think about telling the truth. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? And you could add there, so help me God. Just according on where you add anymore in these days. Let's all stand as we honor the reading of His Word and look at James 5 and verse 12. James chapter 5 and verse 12. We now come to the closing section of the book of James. And like many of the other New Testament books, in the final few verses of a book, the writer begins to deal with a certain number of things. He's dealt with certain things and enlarged upon them throughout the book. But when he comes to the end, he just starts naming things off and just hitting them and pointing them out. That's what James is doing now beginning in verse 11. But he has something, or verse 12 rather, but he has something to say about verse 12 that draws our attention to it in a special way tonight. Notice what he said, James 5 verse 12. He said, but above all things. Now, keep in mind everything he has said. We've spent months now in James. Think about everything that we've uh, looked at it. James said, beginning in chapter 1, verse 1, up to James 5, 11. Everything he says, but he says this in verse 12, but above all things. My brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay, nay, lest you fall into condemnation. Thank you. you. may be seated. And tonight we're going to look at that one verse of Scripture and consider what James has to say about this matter of telling the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help me God. Let's pray. Father, tonight in Jesus' name, as we are nearing the, our conclusion of the book of James, I want to stop tonight and give you thanks for what you have taught us throughout this book. Thank you, Lord, for the lessons we have learned. Thank you for the truths that we have gleaned as we have made our way through this book on Wednesday night. Fathers, we come to the concluding section of the, of the book of James. I ask you, Lord, that you'll take these truths and drive them into our hearts, put them into our hearts that we might live by them, that our life might be shaped by them, that our lives might be touched by them. So thank you, Lord, again tonight for what you've taught us, for what you have yet to teach us in this great book in the Bible. So speak to us tonight through your word, for it is in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. 
Many of you, I'm sure, remember the story about Mary Poppins. You remember that story? You heard about it in school. And many of you may remember the movie that was made about Mary Poppins. There's a scene in that movie with Mary Poppins and the two children, Jane and Michael Banks. And in that scene, they had jumped into bed after their first incredible day with the amazing Mary Poppins. And they're so excited, two little children are. And so they jump into bed and Jane asks Mary Poppins, says, Mary Poppins, you won't ever leave us, will you? And then Michael, full of excitement, looked at his new nanny and this is what he said, will you stay if we promise to be good? And this is how Mary Poppins answered Michael in the movie there. Mary looked at both of them as she was tucking them into bed. And when Michael said, will you stay if we promise to be good? And she said, look, that's a pie crust promise, easily made, easily broken. I say that because when I read James 5 verse 12 and when I look at what he has to say and study it and begin to understand what he is saying, it's almost like James is talking about those pie crust promises. Those promises that are easily made and those promises that are easily broken. So you could write down, as I have done in one of my Bibles over James 5, 12, pie crust promises because that's what he's talking about. You see, in James chapter 5, he's talking about the matter of swearing. Now, I want you to underscore the word swear that is found in verse 12. But above all things, my brethren, swear not. I want you to understand right off at the very beginning that he's not talking about using profanity. Now, oftentimes when we talk about swearing, we think of someone cursing or someone using profanity. I think about a young preacher, a young fellow that had just got saved, and shortly after he got saved, just weeks after he got saved, God called him to preach and he surrendered to preach. And then just weeks after he surrendered to preach, a little church called him to be their pastor. And so he was just a young Christian, a young preacher and whatever, but, and full of passion and full of zeal. But one night he got to preaching and he got to preaching against the devil, not just about the devil. He got to preaching against the devil and he was letting the devil have it. Have it. And again, he hadn't been saved very long, lived a pretty rough life before he got saved, but he got to preaching against the devil and he forgot what he was doing and he just lit loose, just cut loose, just a cussing up a storm. He's talking about that dirty blankety, blankety, blank, blank, devil. And then he called, he, it, he realized what he was saying and it embarrassed him to death and it broke his heart. He's just full of zeal and passion, as I said. But when he realized what he'd done, he just closed his Bible and put it on his arm, bowed his head, and just walked out embarrassed. Well, everybody just sat there. And nobody said a word. Nobody moved. They was all meditating on the word they had heard in that particular message. And so they were all just sitting there. And finally, after a few minutes, the chairman of the deacons got up and he walked to the platform. He stood there and looked at the church for a few moments. And he said, I've been a Christian for a long time. And he said, I've been a church member for a long time. He said, I've been a deacon for a long time. But he said, I'll have to say, in all of my years of being a Christian, and in all of my years of being a deacon, I have never in all of my life heard anybody get a cussing like the devil got tonight. And he said, I tell you what we ought to do. We ought to vote, give our preacher a raise and let him know how much we appreciate it. Well, I would uh, recommend tonight you don't cuss for either a raise for any other reason. But when James is talking about swearing, he's not talking about profanity. The word swear that he uses there is a word that simply means to take an oath. 
You notice in the middle of the verse there, you find the word oath. He's telling us what he's saying there in the word swear. The ideal is of taking an oath or telling the truth. The picture that comes to my mind when I think about what he's saying is in our day and time when someone is called into court to be a witness in a certain case. And they're called in to testify and to give an account of what they know about that situation. Of course, at the very beginning, they would say, do you so promise or do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help you God? That is an oath they take. They say, I do. And what they are saying in, when they say, I do, and taking that oath is they are saying, I'm going to tell the truth. That's what James is talking about when he uses the word swear there to take an oath to tell the truth in a particular matter. Well, you notice how he begins verse 12, and the opening words of the verse indicate the seriousness and the priority of what James is going to say in this verse about swearing or take an oath. He says in the very beginning, but above all things. To read it another way, James says, I've had a lot of things to say to you, but above anything else I've had to say, listen to what I'm about to say now. He is putting a priority on what he's about to say. What he's about to say in verse 12 is preeminent and it's pervasive. So James says above everything else, I want you to listen to what I've got to say about swearing and taking oaths. So understanding that, let me point out three things from the text tonight, or three things. The first one will lay the foundation to the last two, which will deal directly with the text. Now look at the first one, and I want you to think, think with me a moment about this. I want you to think, first of all, about the basis of an oath. We're talking about swearing or taking an oath. Well, let's talk about an oath for just a moment. The basis of an oath. What is an oath all about? When we talk about taking an oath or an oath being required in some situations, what are we talking about and what is indicated and what is implied in the taking of an oath? There are two things I want to suggest to you tonight that are the basis of an oath, regardless of what kind of oath it is. And that is this, first of all, when you think about an oath, you're thinking about something that is asked. When you are asked to take an oath or required to take an oath, there is something that is being asked in taking of that oath. What you're asking or what is being asked in the taking of an oath is simply to ask that person, you're asking that person to tell the truth. Now that is the basis of an oath. You're asking that person to tell the truth or to be honest or to be truth trustworthy in what you're about to say or in what you're about to do. So there is something that is being asked. It is a call for truthfulness. The basis of an oath calls for honesty. The basis of an oath is calling for the truth. It is calling for someone to be trustworthy. Well, as you look in the Bible, you'll find that the Bible has a lot to say about the believer being honest in his dealings with others, whether it be by word or by deed. In fact, as you look in the Bible, you'll find that one of the things that makes a Christian's testimony effective is whether or not they're honest in what they say and honest in what they do. Jot this reference down. We'll put it up on the screen. But 1 Peter 2 and verse 12, listen carefully what the Bible said. The Bible said, having your conversation, that is your, your behavior, how you live, have your conversation honest among the Gentiles. And when the Bible talks about Gentiles, it's talking about those that are unsaved. He's saying having your life, your conversation, honest among those that are unsaved, that whereas they speak evil against you, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. This is what Peter was saying. 
He said, one of the things that will make your testimony effective to a lost world around you is whether or not you tell the truth, whether or not you're honest in your dealings, whether or not you are trustworthy. And implied in that is that if we are not honest and if people cannot believe what we say, if we tell one thing and people learn that we have a tendency to lie, then it's going to hurt our effectiveness as, as in our testimony and be an effective witness for Jesus Christ. So one of the things that's involved in an oath is there's something being asked. An oath is asking you to be honest. But there is not only something that is asked, but there is also something that is acknowledged. For you see, the basis of an oath involves what is being asked. We want you to tell the truth. We want you to be honest. We want you to be trustworthy. But it is also acknowledging the fact that people are not always honest. And they don't always tell the truth. If people were always honest, there would be no need for an oath. So when you go to a court of law and they say, you swear to tell the, whole, to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God, what they're saying is, and what that oath is acknowledging, is that sometimes people don't tell the truth, so they're now asking you to tell the truth. So there is something being asked and there's something being acknowledged. Again, the requirement of an oath implies and indicates that people are not always truthful. And it indicates that people do lie. And it indicates that people are dishonest and they're not trustworthy. In fact, thinking about lying about things, I think about a husband that came home drunk one night and he came in real quiet because he knew if his wife called him, he was in for trouble. So he came in, he snuck up the steps and stairs and, and he went into the bathroom and when he looked in the bathroom he saw his face all beat up and cut up from a fight that he'd been in earlier that night so he bandaged his bumps and his bruises and then he slipped in the bed and without waking his wife up but the next morning when he woke up there she stood at the side of the bed she had both hands on her hip and she, hips and she looked at him and she said you came home drunk last night didn't you and he says no honey I didn't come home drunk she and she said well if you didn't come home drunk last night, then who put all those band-aids on the bathroom mirror, amen? Well, there folks have a tendency to lie. I remember an article that was in the Chattanooga Times Free Press back in March of 2000. And this is what the headline said. Sometimes lies are wishful thinking. And it was subtitled, Researchers Find People Tell Fibs on a Daily Basis. And the article described how a Bella DiPaolo, a professor of psychology, at the University of Virginia did research with college students and with a diverse collection of non-students in which they kept diaries of all the lies they told. And she found that students told an average of two lies a day or one lie for every three social interactions. The non-students told roughly half that many lies, but she found out in those that she surveyed that almost every one of them admitted to lying daily. This problem of lying and not telling the truth. I think about a story I read one time about Henrietta, Henrietta Garrett. She is a lonely 81-year-old widow that died in her home in Philadelphia. This is back in 1930. And her death triggered one of the most bizarre cases of inheritance litigation in American history. She failed to leave a will, or at least they could not find the will, to her $17 million estate. Now, $17 million is a lot of money in 2002, but this is 1930. And you can imagine how much $17 million was in 1930. Although Miss Garrett at the time of her death had only one known relative, which was a second cousin, 
attempts to prove a relationship to her in the claim of part or all of her estate was made by more than 26,000 persons from 47 states and 29 foreign countries represented by over 3,000 lawyers. And in an effort to obtain her estate, there were those who committed perjury, there were those who faked family records, there were those that even went as far to change their own names, some altered data in family Bibles, and even others concocted absurd tales of illegitimacy. As a result, 12 people were put in prison, 10 received jail sentences, 2 committed suicide, and 3 were murdered. But it's a story that talks about how people are not always honest. And when you talk about an oath, the basis of an oath is this, that people are being asked to tell the truth. And people are being asked to be honest. And people are being asked to be trustworthy. And the reason they're being asked to tell the truth is because they don't always tell the truth. They're asked to tell the truth. In so doing, it acknowledges that men and women don't always tell the truth. Now, that is the basis of an oath. That leads me to our text. I look at it tonight. The second thing I point out is this. Not only the basis of an oath, but second of all, the breaking of an oath. Now, look at our text in James 5, verse 12. The basis of an oath is there's something being asked and something being acknowledged. So now come to verse 12, and he talks to us about the breaking of an oath. Now, look at the text, and let me draw two things from it. For one thing, notice with me in verse 12, what I want to call the rebuke of dishonesty. We're talking about being honest, we're talking about telling the truth, being trustworthy, where James 5.12 is a rebuke of all lying. It is a rebuke of all dishonesty. For notice what he said, but above all things, my brethren, swear not. Now let's stop there for just a moment. There have been many that have misunderstood this verse of Scripture. When he says swear not, that is not a blanket prohibition for swearing or a blank, blanket prohibition against swearing. That's not what he's talking about, or taking an oath. There's some that believe the Bible says, because it says swear not, they will not take an oath in court, they will not swear by God or whatever. That's not what he's saying when he makes a statement there, swear not. Because as you look in the Bible, you'll find those in the Bible actually swearing or you'll find those in the Bible actually taking an oath. In times when written contracts did not exist, oaths and swearing served to bind agreements between people. And so when you go through the Bible, you find that it's not uncommon that somebody took an oath or somebody swore to a certain matter. May I point out a few examples? Follow me in the Bible. Look in Genesis chapter 21. In the book of Genesis chapter 21, you have the story of Abraham and Abimelech. In fact, this is the first recorded incident in the Bible about somebody uh, taking an oath. In Genesis chapter 21, there's a dispute, dispute about a well that had been dug. And so Abraham takes an oath to prove and to validate his claim that he had actually dug that well. Notice chapter 21, verse 25. And get the story. Abraham, verse 25, reprove Abimelech because of a well, a water, which Abimelech's servants had violently taken away. And Abimelech said in verse 26, I wot not who hath done this thing, neither didst thou tell me, neither yet heard I of it, but to this day. In other words, he said, I didn't realize the well was yours. Verse 27, here's what Abraham did. He took sheep and oxen and gave them unto Abimelech, and both of them made a covenant. And Abraham, verse 28, set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. Verse 29, And Abimelech said unto Abraham, What mean these seven ewe lambs which thou hast set by themselves? 
And he said, For these seven ewe lambs shalt thou take of mine hand, that they may be a witness unto me that I have digged this well. He said, I'm giving you this to show you that I am the one. I'm the owner of the well. I dug the well. Verse 31, Wherefore he called that place Beersheba, because there they swear both of them. Abraham gives him a gift, which was a custom in those days, as part of a, a contractual agreement. And verse 31 said they swear. That is, they entered into an oath about the well. So you have in the first recorded incident, you have Abraham making an oath. Well, there are many others in the Bible. In fact, there are times in the Bible you'll find that God required people to take an oath. Look in Exodus chapter 22. In the book of Exodus chapter 22, notice with me please, verse 10 and 11. Not only do you find examples of people taking oaths, but you actually find where God required the taking of an oath. And I'm saying that to show that he's not meaning or prohibiting any swearing or taking oaths when he said swear not. In Exodus 22, notice in verse 10, the Bible said in Exodus 22, 10, If any man deliver unto his neighbor an ass or an ox or a sheep, or any beast to keep it and it die or be hurt or driven away, no man seeing it. That is, if you were to borrow, say, someone's donkey and it breaks a leg while you've got it in your possession, here's what you do in verse 11. Then shall an oath of the Lord be between them both, that he hath not put his hand unto his neighbor's goods, and the owner of it shall accept thereof, and he shall not make it good. In other words, he took an oath to say, I solemnly swear that I am telling you the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. I did not cause the injury to your animal. So here's one of the things God said, I want you to require this. I'm thinking requiring is that this oath in this situation. When we're thinking about oaths, there are those in the Bible that took oath. There are things that God even required to, an oath to be entered into. But you'll also find that God himself took oaths. Look back in Genesis 22. One more example. In the book of Genesis chapter 22, in that great chapter of Abraham being obedient unto God, notice verse 16 and following. Not only were there those that took an oath, not only were there occasions when God required an oath, but even God himself swore at times. In Genesis 22 verse 16 and verse 15, the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham in heaven the second time, and he said in verse 16, By myself, this is God speaking, have I sworn, saith the Lord. By myself I make this oath. For because thou hast done this thing, and hast not withheld thine son, that only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and that thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. God said, because you have done this, I am going to bless you in multiplied ways throughout your life and throughout history. And he guaranteed that by entering into an oath with Abraham. He said, by myself I have sworn. So when James, go back to our text in James 5, when we consider the examples of those in the Bible taking an oath, that there are godly men that took oaths, God even required the entering of an oath, God himself even entered into an oath, then we know when he says swear not, that he is not saying that we are not to take any oath of any kind. That's not what he is saying. 
you got to understand that when James makes the statement, swear not, and what he has to say following, which will explain it, he is describing a practice that was very common among Jewish people in those days. It was a very common practice, and it had crept over in the church. These are Jewish readers, Jewish people, Jewish believers here, and so a lot of their Jewish ways and traditions had carried over into their new life and in the church, and probably one of them was this matter of oaths. You see, there was a rabbinic teaching that held, in those days that held, that only vows that were made to the Lord or only oaths that invoked the name of God were binding oaths. That is, if you swore in the name of God, that was binding. It could not be broken. That if you took an oath in the name of the Lord or in the name of Jehovah, in the name of God or the Lord of heaven, whatever it is, and whenever you invoke the name of God, then you entered into a contract or agreement that was binding and it could not be broken. That was a teaching. But they had a loophole. If you, however, took an oath in the name of something besides God, for example, he says, swear not neither by heaven, neither by earth, neither by any other oath. If you took an oath and you swore in the name of heaven or you swore in the name of earth or there could be other things. Jesus, in one example, Matthew, talked about him swearing in, in the name of Jerusalem or swearing in the name of the temple or swearing on their own heads. This rabbinical teaching taught that if you invoked the name of God, it was binding. But if you did not invoke the name of God, then that oath could be violated without committing perjury now that was the teaching was going around that if you ever brought God into it then what you pledge and what you agreed to that was binding but if you didn't bring the name of God into it then you could probably wiggle out of it because it could be violated without committing perjury it reminds me a whole lot when we we're kids on the play lot you remember this you promise I promise I promise oh yeah I promise and then later you broke your promise and they come to you and they said to you, you broke your promise. You lied to me. And here was our response. But I had my fingers crossed. You, you remember doing that, don't you? You remember you doing that? Somebody still do that. Say amen. But that was our way. If we had our fingers crossed, then we could break our promise and it would be all right. That's, that's basically what the Jews were saying. Bring God's name into it. It's binding. But if you don't bring God's name to it, if you swear by heaven, then you could probably get out of it. If you swear by earth, then you could break that uh, promise or whatever. It was a deceptive way of saying, I'm telling the truth. You're standing there grinning at him. I promise you, I swear by heaven that I'm going to do this. Or I swear by heaven I'm telling you the truth. And it's like you're standing there with your fingers crossed. You know that it's not necessarily true. It's another way of getting out or breaking your promise. And so when James says, swear not... What he is doing is rebuking this custom of hypocrisy. He is rebuking this custom that was so prevalent in those days of dishonesty. He's saying you are making a promise. You're entering into an oath and then you're not keeping that oath. In actuality, what you're doing, you say, I'm not going to lie, but you end up lying. You say you're telling the truth, but you don't tell the truth. And you've got your little window, you've got your loophole to wiggle your way through. He said, swear not. What he's doing is rebuking that kind of dishonesty. On the flip side, you have in verse 12, not only a rebuke of dishonesty, but second of all, a requirement of honesty. For he makes a statement there in verse 12, 
Let your yea be yea, your nay, nay. Now, remembering that, mark your place and turn to Matthew 5 and look at verse, beginning in verse 33. Jesus said basically the same thing. Or I guess you could say what James is saying. He is drawing from what Jesus had to say about the matter. Look in Matthew chapter 5, and notice with me, please, beginning in verse 33. Notice what Jesus had to say about the matter of swearing or taking an oath. In Matthew 5, verse 33, notice what Jesus said. Again, you have heard that it hath been said, that it hath been said by them of old time. That statement there indicates that he's not talking about the prophets. He's talking about those, the Pharisees, their traditions, uh, the rabbis and their teachings and whatever there. That's what he's talking about. He said, you've heard, you've been taught. Notice what he said. You said of them of old time, thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shall perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, now this is what your teachers have taught you, but this is what I say. Swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne nor by the earth, for it is his footstool. Neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communication be yea, yea, thyself. The word for swear there simply means to commit perjury. That is to say you're telling the truth, but you're not telling the truth. To make a claim that you're being honest and you're not being honest. Jesus said, thou shalt not perjure yourself. Thou shalt not pretend to be what, saying one thing, but yet you're saying something else, pretending to tell the truth, and you're not doing so. What Jesus is saying in Matthew 5, 33 through 37, that the things they were coming along, as I said a moment ago, they were swearing by heaven, they were swearing by earth, they were swearing by Jerusalem, they were swearing by their own head, and the idea was I can swear this way, and it's not a binding oath. I haven't swear, I haven't, I haven't, I went entered to an oath in the name of God. I haven't invoked the name of God. I said, I swear by heaven. I didn't say I swear by the Lord of heaven. And I, so they would say, well, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't swear by God. I said, I swear by earth. I didn't say I swear by the creator of the earth. I said, I swear by Jerusalem. I didn't say I swear by God's city, the holy city of Jerusalem. I swear by my head. I didn't say I swear by the God who made my head. So they had a little loophole and Jesus come along and he said to them that they were what they were doing. For he said, yeah, you swear by heaven. But I want to remind you, heaven's God's throne. You swear by earth. I want to remind you, earth is God's footstool. You swear by Jerusalem, but I remind you that Jerusalem is the city of the great king. You swear by your head, but you can't control your head. You, can't, you didn't create your head. God is the one in charge of that. What he is saying to them was that everything they were swearing by fell within God's jurisdiction and fell within God's dominion. Therefore, any oath they took was a binding oath. He said, listen, you may not invoke the name of God, but you, if you swear by heaven, that's God's uh, throne. Everything you're swearing by falls within the territory of God. Therefore, you are invoking the name of God. And you are bringing God into it. Therefore, any oath you enter into is a binding oath. And what he's saying is, I, he said, look, you can have your loopholes if you want to, but I say unto you that, there's, that an oath is a binding matter. But they were breaking that. And so he rebuked their dishonesty, and he come back and required their honesty. And Jesus said to them in verse 37, yea, yea, nay for nay. Now go back to James 5, 12. That's exactly what James said. 
James chapter 5 and verse 12, he says to them, he said, above all things, my brethren, don't swear neither by heaven, neither by earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay, nay. In other words, what Jesus said and what James repeated is simply this. Let what you say be the truth. Let your speech be straightforward and let your speech be honest. You say a yea, it ought to be a yea. If you say a nay, it ought to be a nay. Whatever you say, well, I don't care how you swear and who you swear by or what you swear by, he said you ought to tell the truth. Your yea ought to be yea and your nay ought to be a. He's telling us to be honest in all that we do. Our yes is to mean yes. Our no is to mean no. And we're to be a people who keep the truth and we're to be a people who keep the word. We're to be someone that is known for our truthfulness amen as a christian we're to be known as our yay being yay and our nay being nay i think about two fellas they were brothers wicked brothers mean as a devil themselves they had a lot of money very very rich in fact they used their money to hide their wicked ways from the public eye and they attended the same church together they were there every sunday lived like the devil monday through saturday but they were always in the church services on sunday well, the old pastor, he's an old man. He'd been there for years. He kind of looked the other way, but time came and he retired and they got a new preacher. And he was a fairly young fella and he saw through these brothers' deceptions right off the bat and when he preached, he didn't cut any corners. He let, I mean, he just let it rip. He talked about honesty. He talked about telling the truth. He, he, he named all, he just went through and just, just let it rip. Well, the church started growing and and the building was full, so a fundraising campaign was started to build a new building. And about that time, one of these two brothers died. And the other brother came to the preacher, and he asked him, said, I want you to preach my brother's funeral. And he handed him a check, and the check was written out for the amount of money they needed to finish paying off the building. And he said, there's only one condition. I'm giving you this money, there's only one condition. At my brother's funeral, you've got to say that he was a saint. Preacher didn't bat an eye, took the check out of his hand, put it in his pocket, went straight to the bank and deposited the check. Well, the next day at the funeral, everybody was sitting there wondering what the preacher was going to say. They knew he'd preached a lot on being honest. They knew he'd preached a lot about telling the truth. And he knew, they knew this fellow was anything but a saint. So they were sitting there waiting to hear what the preacher said. So the preacher got up and this is what he said. As you all know, so-and-so was an evil man. He cheated on his wife. He abused his family. And only heaven knows the number of wicked things he did. But compared to his brother, he was a saint. Can I get an amen right there? That's being honest in one way. I read the story several, some 700 years ago. There was in northern Germany a firm of merchants by the name of Easterling. And these merchants, this Easterling family, was so upright in all of their dealings uh, that the gold and the silver that they circulated became the standard for the correct quality and the content of metal. Easterling was abbreviated to sterling. And even to this day, and all silver having a content of at least 0.925 fine, 25 fine silver is marked sterling. 
And whenever you see sterling on something, remember it came from a family that was so honest in their dealings that how they measured silver became the measurement that exists even to this day. And when you see the name sterling, remember the testimony that it has to a family that was upright and a family that was so honest. Now that's what Jesus and James is talking about is that we are not to be dishonest, but we're to be honest. And everything we say, it ought to be the truth. Our yea is to be yea, our nay is to be nay. That's the breaking of an oath as you have illustrated in verse 12. Are you still with me? Say amen. One final thing. Not on the basis of an oath, something has been asked, something has been acknowledged. The breaking of an oath as we find in verse 12, but you also have in the statement the binding of an oath. What Jesus said and what James says in verse 12 makes it very clear that an oath is a binding matter. It doesn't matter to whom you swear or to what you swear. If you make an oath, it is a binding matter. If you promise somebody something, that's binding. If you swear to something, that's binding. And the final words of verse 12 indicates how binding they are. Let me point them out, and one, I'll take you back to one more reference and then to what James said. Two things. One, I want you to think with me in closing about the word God gave about breaking oaths. The word that God gave. Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. The book of Ecclesiastes chapter 5, and notice beginning in verse 4. And the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 4. Notice what he had to say. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 4, right after the book of Proverbs. Chapter 5 and verse 4. He said, When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it. That is, don't you delay in paying it. For he that is God hath no pleasure in fools. Who is a fool? It is one that makes a vow and defers to pay it. Therefore, he says, pay that which thou hast vowed. Look at verse 5. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. Now, the word God gave about breaking oaths is this, that a man's a fool to break an oath. That a man, that God does, is not, has no pleasure in somebody that makes a promise but breaks the promise or enters into an oath and does not keep that oath or keep that promise. That's the word God gave about breaking an oath. And you get the impression that God is serious about an oath being a binding matter. That if I enter into an oath, that is a binding matter. Now, I may find my loopholes and try to get out of it, but as far as God is concerned, if I made an oath, that is a binding matter. That's the word God gave. Now, look in James 5. There's the warning God gave. The word that he gave, is, gave in Ecclesiastes is defer not to pay it. Now, the warning that he gives in James 5, 12 is this. My brethren, swear not neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea, your nay nay, lest ye fall into condemnation. James, this is the warning God gave. He gave through James. He told us in Ecclesiastes, defer not to pay the oath or the vows you've made. You make a vow, you keep your vow. You enter into an oath, you make an oath, you keep your oath. Your yea is to be nay. And he made it very clear in the latter part of verse 12, lest ye be judged over the matter. The implication being that is if you break an oath, you're going to face God with it. 
that if you enter into an oath and you say, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, whether you do it by so help me God or by anything else, if you ever enter into an oath or you make an oath, as far as God is concerned, you are to be truthful, you're to be honest, you're to keep that oath if that's part of it there, because if you don't, you will face that matter when you stand before God. That makes it serious. Some of you may have read, may remember the early part of the year, in my book I tell about a politician by the name of Henry Clay. Henry Clay exercised a leadership in American politics that has seldom been equaled. He served as both senator and a state representative from the state of Kentucky. He served as Secretary of State under Quincy Adams. He served as the Speaker of the House longer than any other politician during the 19th century. He was nicknamed the Great Compromiser for his ability to get differing sides to come together on a matter. But I think about, and the story I tell about in the book is that on one occasion, he was about to introduce a bill in Congress. And a friend came up to him and said, if you do, if you introduce that bill, it will kill your chance for the presidency. He so happened to be running for president at that time. And the friend said, if you bring that bill up, you might as well forget about being a president. It'll kill your chance for the presidency. And Clay looked at him and said, but I want to ask you, is the measure right? Is the bill that I'm about to bring up right? And the friend in essence to him said, yes, it's right. He assured him that it was right. But he said, if you bring it up, it'll kill your chances to become president. And this is what Henry Clay said. He said, I would rather be right than to be president. When you think about what James had to say in James 5, verse 12, about breaking an oath and that God considers them to be binding if they're ever entered into, that everyone I was ought to say with Henry Clay, I'd rather be right than to be the president of the United States of America. To be right, to tell the truth, and to always tell the truth. Amen? Take your prayer sheet for tonight. That's verse 12. Next week, we get into that about praying for the sick. And that's an interesting passage to look at, and we'll be looking at that next week. Our missionary of the week is Bill and Sandy Murdoch. And specifically, uh, we put them as our missionary of the week tonight. As I mentioned Sunday night, the last time Bill and Cindy were in back last year, uh, they found a little tumor in Cindy's eye and the and uh, they said that we we're going to watch it. It was very, very small. But uh, she went to a doctor in Costa Rica, and it seems to have grown a little bit. And that concerns them. So Cindy and Bill are coming back in the 1st of May. She has an appointment to meet with her doctor. So we want to pray for Bill and Cindy tonight. They are uh, special folks out of our church. They've been used of God in a marvelous way in, in Costa Rica. And we want to pray that God will touch this and whatever is going on. But pray for Cindy and Bill tonight. Then our Church of the Week is South Dalton Baptist Church in Dalton, Georgia. Brother Bob Sampley is the pastor. Brother Bob was a member of the first church I ever pastored, and a dear friend, him and Betty, and uh, he's at South Dalton in, in, in Dalton, Georgia. So we want to remember them tonight. Then our hospital is Jephthah Edwards at Tri-County, and then Kenneth Long at Park Ridge. Peggy Falls' sister is in Atlanta. And then Regina Berry's mom is at Memorial Hospital. A special request given to me tonight for a Carl Braden that had an accident, want to remember him. And then, of course, all the friends and family of Alma Chadwick that went home to be at the Lord, and her burial was on Monday. So all of you that will, let's come and gather around the altar. Let's pray for all of these things tonight. Let's pray for the services on Sunday. Let's pray the Lord will touch and pray that the Lord will bless.
and God will give us a great day. All of you that will, let's come and just gather around the altar and take these things to the Lord in prayer. Our Father tonight, in Jesus' name, we ask you now to help us to be doers of the Word and not just hearers only. Help us, Lord, to live in such a way that our testimony is enhanced and not hindered by our truthfulness or lack of truthfulness. Help us, as Jesus said and as James taught us, that our yeas always be yeas, our nays always nays. If we say yes, then it is yes. If we say no, it is no. Let us learn, Lord, how you view things and how you look at things. May we live our life in the light of what you say and not what others may say. So, Father, speak to us and teach us tonight from your word. Father, we pray tonight for Bill and Cindy. We thank you for them. We pray especially tonight for Cindy. You know what is going on in her life. You know what is going on in her body. I know they're deeply concerned, apprehensive. What is going on? What is there? I pray you'd watch over and touch her. We pray, Lord, that you would even bring healing to her body. I pray, Lord, that you would bless them as they come back in, in May to see the doctor. May even then, Lord, may they go to the doctor and find nothing. We believe you can touch her, and we ask you, Lord, to touch her, if it be your will. We pray tonight, Brother Sampley, we pray for South Dalton Baptist Church that you bless there and touch. Thank you for sending Brother Bob there. Bless the ministry. Touch the church. Use them in a marvelous way. May the church grow, may it prosper, may wonderful things be done there. And then, Lord, for all of our folk in the hospital, we pray you touch them, minister to them, and meet every need. Bless on the Lord's day, touch and anoint in a special way. May glorious things of you be spoken on the Lord's day. Bless, Lord, the rest of this week. Bless our adult teams as they go out tomorrow night. Thank you, Lord, for the good night on Monday night in our faith teams, our Young adults, our student faith, thank you, Lord, for our teenagers and how you're using them, their commitment to you, their growth in you, and how they're being used of you. Father, we ask you, Lord, to bless in all the things going on here, our building program. I pray, God, you continue to bless and meet every need. Bless, Lord, our giving week by week by week. Lord, bless uh, the special contributions that are made. You know our needs. They are great. I pray, Lord, that you'd send in literally hundreds of thousands of dollars that we need. Father, I pray you'd send it in. Touch hearts, lay on hearts, and I pray that everyone will give according to their ability. But meet our needs. You can. You said you'd supply all of our need according to riches and glory. So we ask you to provide for these things. So touch now. Thank you again for our time tonight in your word, in Jesus' name. And for Jesus' sake we pray, amen. Are you glad to be saved tonight? Amen. I ask you to remember me in prayer. I usually take one Sunday in the spring of the year that I go somewhere and uh, preach outside of the church this coming Sunday. I'll be in Lexington, North Carolina. I'm actually dedicating a new church building, so I'm a little bit excited about that and to see what they have done and, and to dedicate that building and kind of get fired up about coming back and dedicating mine and this one here. But uh, appreciate your prayers. Remember me. I always miss being here, but... Uh, it's good for me to get a break once in a while. It's good for you to get a break. Say amen right there. Amen. You're dismissed. Shake it. Yeah, Monday night and student faith, we had three people saved on Monday night. Isn't that a blessing? Amen. Three people to the Lord. That is great. You're dismissed. Shake hands and fellowship as you leave.